Welcome to the Art and Joe podcast. You're listening to Memories, part of a collection of music available at www.bensound.com. I'm Landon Thomasma, owner and operator of Art and Joe, Stillville, Missouri's own little coffee shop. In these files, you'll find a collection of sermons, devotions, stories, and musings, whatever happens to be on my heavily caffeinated mind. I hope you might find something useful somewhere in there. This week's a sermon I just preached yesterday morning. I was filling in for Pastor Wendy Downing at Steelville Presbyterian Church, my home church. The scripture was John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. And the title, How Many Samaritans Does It Take? This week's scripture is commonly known as Jesus and the Samaritan Woman, or the Woman at the Well. It's not so common, but maybe a bit more accurate, to refer to it as how Jesus went over a whole village by speaking with one outcast woman. Now, I have to wonder if the Jews of Jesus' time had ethnic jokes about Samaritans. You know, like our our light bulb jokes, you know what I mean? Here, let's do this as a responsive reading, okay? I'll ask the question, and then I'll pause, and you can all respond with how many, and then I'll answer it. All right, here it goes. How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? One to change the bulb, and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. Okay, here's one that hits closer to home. How many Calvinists does it take to change a light bulb? None. God is predestined when the light will be on. Calvinists do not change light bulbs. They simply read the instructions and pray the light bulb will be the one that has been chosen to be changed. How many TV evangelists does it take to change a light bulb? One. But for the message of light to continue, send in your donation today. How many worship leaders with guitars does it take to change a light bulb? One. But soon all those around can warm up to its glowing. How many youth pastors does it take to change a light bulb? No one knows. Youth pastors aren't around long enough for a light bulb to burn out. How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None. They always use candles. Good. (laughs) There are more, but I think we get the picture. So, Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, or Shechem, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, we're a little familiar with Samaritans, aren't we? I spoke about them about the same time last year, or maybe later. We know, for example, that Samaria was established as the capital of the kingdom of Israel when ten tribes of Israel broke off from Judah and Benjamin under Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Now, from that moment, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel continued in a kind of a love-hate relationship until Israel was conquered by the Assyrians and then Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. Both populations were carried off by their conquerors into captivity. And it's here that the major philosophical difference develops between the Jews and the Samaritans. When the Jews began to return to Jerusalem, they considered Samaritans foreigners who had intermarried too much with the people the Assyrians had sent in to occupy the place. The Samaritans, for their part, considered Jewish worship to have been corrupted during some 80 years of exile. Now, this is a conflict that continues to the present day. Yes, there are still Samaritans today. Back in 2015, when they were last counted, there were 777 Samaritans left, split mostly between two towns, one in Israel and one in the Palestinian region. 
Now, in case you know somebody who's interested, they are open to people who'd like to marry into the community and improve the gene pool. But I'll warn you, that's not as easy as it sounds. There's a six-month probationary period to see if you can handle their lifestyle, which is very much old-school Israelite. I mean, the Marines got nothing on the Samaritans. The Samaritans consider theirs to be the true original worship as God handed down to Moses. They have their own Pentateuch, written in a Samaritan alphabet, which only has a few significant differences from the Jewish Pentateuch. The most notable one is what amounts to an 11th commandment, which establishes Mount Gerizim as the location of the Lord's altar. Now, we'll get back to that. So this is the setting in which we find ourselves for this story. Judea and Samaria have pretty much agreed to disagree, living in their own areas, the Jews worshiping in their temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans at their altar on Mount Gerizim. They don't socialize, they don't interact, but they do buy and sell, basically get along. There are other things to discuss than religion, after all. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Now, <laughs> here is normally the place where I bring up some sort of notion we have of the story and suggest that the reality might have been different. Well, I'm not going to do that this time. Fact is, the general interpretation is that this woman is coming to Jacob's well at noontime for a reason, namely, to avoid other people. There's a Noel Coward song, Mad Dogs and Englishmen Go Out in the Noonday Sun. It's not normal to come out in the hottest portion of the day. We learn from Jesus' conversation with the woman that she's had a string of husbands and is now living with a man she's not married to. This makes her a pariah among the other women of the town who would come to get their water early in the morning when the air was cooler. This woman is coming in the hottest part of the day because she knows she won't have to deal with people. But there's this Galilean sitting here. And with his first words, Jesus shocks the woman bolt upright. First, he's a Jewish man speaking to a woman. That's one. Not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. That's a double whammy. Finally, he's asking her to get him a drink of water, which he would have to drink from her cup. And that's a triple whammy. And that's even before we've gotten into the woman's reputation. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? <laughs> now this harkens back to what I said earlier about the Samaritans. This exclusivity between Jews and Samaritans was a two-sided affair, with both sides considering themselves to be the true Israelites. This woman might have been looked down on an outcast from her society, but she was still a proud daughter of the true Israel. And she's obviously not about trying to score some extra theology points with the schmarty pants Galilean. Jacob, Israel himself, settled in Shechem, another name for Sikar. And it's Jacob's well they're standing beside. So, score one for the home field advantage. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give becomes in them a, a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. There's a subtle change that's taken place here. You see it? In a matter of a few sentences, this woman has gone from a prickly standoffishness to an openness that might even surprise her. She's spoken the thing that's her main concern, not having to endure the opprobrium of her community. And Jesus has come right back with the reason that opprobrium is there. In her own words, later on, Jesus has just told her everything she's ever done. Like the man in the Roberta Flack song, he saw her in all her dark despair and looked right through her as if she weren't there. And so she digs up a question that was intrinsic to being a Samaritan. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, let's just establish something right here and now. The Samaritans had their messianic tradition just like the Jews did. The Messiah was expected to come in the full measure of God's time, filled with the power of God and the authority of Scripture. And first and foremost, he was coming, and I'm going to add reverb here, he was coming to clear, 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 everything, thing, 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 up, 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 up. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. That was the expectation of both Jew and Samaritan, that the Messiah would set things straight, clear everything up, that all the confusion that the kings and the prophets and the chronicles and the poetry and the diaspora had brought over all the years would finally be addressed and resolved by one who comes directly from God. And Jesus said, yes, and that Messiah is me. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed him in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when you look at the Samaritan woman, the Orthodox Church made her a saint, Saint Fotini. The Russian Church calls her Saint Svetlana. When you look at her, if she'd had cardboard, and if there had been Sharpies back in Shechem, what do you think her uh, cardboard testimony would be? Well, I think it would look something like this. On one side, went out of my way to avoid people. On the other side, met Jesus. Now can't tell enough people about him. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Meanwhile, and I'm taking this out of sequence on purpose, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. My food is, is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. But do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which, for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Josh McDowell writes in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, that the most powerful proof of Christ's reality came not from any historical account, but from the disciples themselves. They were transformed in just the same way as this woman, Fotini or Svetlana or whatever her name was, from people who couldn't risk being seen to people who couldn't stop talking about what they had seen. In Romans chapter 5, Paul puts it like this. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to the grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, how many Samaritans does it take to change a village? One. But you have to change that Samaritan first. And the same goes for any village, any city, any place. If we want to change things out there, we've got to make the change in here. We've got to meet the one who can tell us everything we've ever done and let him transform us into people who can't stop boasting about him. Amen. You've been listening to the Art and Joe podcast. You can find Art and Joe at 105 East Main Street in Steelville, Missouri, the heart of the Ozarks. Just look for the big yellow sign that says, You Need a Cup of Coffee. You can visit our website at artandjoe.ntunes.com. That's artandjoe at ntonz.com. Or drop by our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash artandjoe. Thank you for listening and God bless.